0: Welcome to our Resurrection Sunday service. We will be performing a play by Sherman Chatwell, A Word on the Resurrection. Imagine yourself in the worst of all possible situations. Imagine yourself as one of the disciples, or as one of the women who followed Jesus. Imagine that he is no longer among you, because he is dead. You saw him die. You saw them bury him in his tomb. There is no doubt. There is no hope. There is no future. You together behind a locked door. Think that those who tortured and killed him will come and find you next. What will happen to you? To your friends? Or to your family? There is no doubt. There is no hope. There is no future. You heard him say when he's alive that the Son of Man must be delivered from the hands of hope sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. But you have forgotten those words, or at least they hold no hope for you now. The horror of the crucifixion is still fresh in your mind. You see and hear him in the there, dying right in front of you, when there is nothing you can do. You think about your parts in all of it, and wonder what you could have done differently. You have been frightened and hiding for days. But now, it is Sunday. <laughs> So she came running to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciples started from the tomb, both were running. The other disciple outran Peter and reached a tomb first. He bent over and looked at Jesus lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the young disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand the first that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Mary stood outside the tomb, crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels robed in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman,
1: why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, and I don't know where they have put him.
0: At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was him. He asked her,
1: Woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for?
0: Thinking he was the gardener, she said,
1: Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Mary. Rabboni?
0: In Aramaic, the word Rabboni means teacher.
1: Do not hold on for me, to me, for I have not ascended yet to my Father in heaven. Go instead to my disciples and tell them that I am ascending to my Father in heaven, and to your Father, to my God and
0: your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. On the evening of the first day of the week, the disciples were together, with the doors locked with fear of the Jewish people. Jesus came and stood among them, and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed up his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed with this own Lord. Jesus said,
1: Peace be with you. As God has sent me, I am sending you.
0: And with that, he went and said,
1: Receive you the Holy Spirit. Whomever ye shall forgive, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive their sins, they are not forgiven.
0: Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, meaning twin, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So well, the other disciples told him, We
1: have seen the Lord
0: Unless I see the nail marks in his hand, I put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into the side, I will not believe. A week later, the disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. When the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them, and said,
1: Peace be with you, Thomas. Put your finger in my hands, and put your finger in my side. Stop doubting and believe. My Lord, and my God. Because you've seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen me, yet have believed.
0: Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. Imagine yourself in the best of all possible situations. The Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who was dead, is now alive again. By the power of the living God, Jesus Christ has risen from the dead and is alive forever. The terror of yesterday is gone, and the fear of tomorrow has vanished. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, mankind can be forgiven of sin. And because He has been raised from the dead, mankind can live forever. There is no doubt. We have a hope. We have a future. God bless you, and happy Easter. Jesus is alive.
1: Happy Resurrection Sunday.
2: and anyway, I said happy Easter, uh, Easter Saturday yesterday but it's like resurrection Sunday today it's distinct isn't it it's just a very different day and uh, on this special day I want to speak to you about a very personal Lord and Saviour I'm reminded of the time when I trusted Lord Jesus Christ as my Saviour and I probably should uh, use the speaker for the second recording I think it works out a bit better but um, I got saved because I wanted a personal relationship with Jesus Christ I didn't want an empty religion. I mean, this country had empty religion for years. People got tired of it. And uh, there's a a large falling away from the church, if you want to use that phrase. But people need something real. They Need something meaningful. They need not just a religion and a name tag that says, well, I go to that church down there. You know, I'm glad people go to that church down there, wherever the down there is, but... Really what they need is a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And the reason why I'm saying that is because the Lord Jesus Christ takes a personal interest in your life. Psalm 139 says this, He knows our down and our uprising. He understands our thoughts afar off. And He's acquainted with all our ways. Dear friends, we need to be reminded of how much the Lord Jesus Christ loves us and how much He cares for our lives the disciples needed it back then, especially after the crucifixion. And I think we need that today. So if we can turn together in our Bibles to Mark chapter 16, I'm going to read the first eight verses. Mark chapter 16, verse 1 to 8. And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene the Mary, and Mary the mother of James and Salome, had bought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came unto the sepulchre at the rising of the sun. And they said among themselves, who shall roll us away the stone from the door of the sepulchre? And when they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away, for it was very great. And entering into the sepulchre, they, a sepulchre, by the way, is a tomb. And entering into the sepulchre, they saw a young man sitting in the right side, on the right side, clothed in long white garment, and they were affrighted. And he said unto them, be not affrighted, Ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. Behold the place where they laid him. But go your way and tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him, as he said unto you. And they went out quickly and fled from the sepulcher. For they trembled and were amazed. Neither said they anything to any man, for they were afraid. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask God to open up his word this morning. Father in heaven, all around this country, all around Europe, all around the world, there are going to be preachers who are faithful to the word of God, and they're going to open up the scriptures, and they're going to explain the resurrection to people. Lord, open up hearts. Open up hearts all around this country, and open up hearts right here in this room, I pray, to your resurrection. Lord, help us make room in our hearts for the resurrection. I pray, Lord Jesus, if there are people here this morning where you're very distant, they have no idea who you are, you're very distant in their lives, I pray this morning will be a very different morning. Pray today that people will realize you're very close, you're very near. I pray each one will leave here this morning convinced you have an active interest in their lives. And I pray because of that they'll find their way to you through the blood of Jesus, through the sacrifice you made on the cross. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. First thing I want to share with you number one, he went before them. The title of this morning's message is He Goes Before You. He went before them because they just struggled. They struggled to believe his word. Look at verse 5 and verse 6. And entering into the sepulchre, they saw a young man sitting at the right side. Clothed in white, long white garment, and they were afraid. They were afraid, and he said unto them, "Be not afraid. Be not afraid. Ye see Jesus of Nazareth, which was risen. Was, sorry, which was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. Behold, the place where he laid him. Brethren, they were looking in the wrong place. You ever heard of people being in the wrong place at the wrong time? They were in the wrong place at the right time. <laughs> you know that's because they doubted god's word we're not the only ones to doubt god's word at times the ladies were there to embalm the body of christ because they doubted his word it says here in verse one when the sabbath was passed mary magdalene and mary his mother the mother of james and salome had bought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him to make this bam or to anoint the body of christ the gum of myrrh tree and the powder of fragrant aloe wood was mixed together with it, the body would be completely covered and wrapped with linen cloths. Then a scindent, which was a burial shroud, would cover the body to complete the embalming. And all this work was carefully carried out to prevent decay. But embalming only works on bodies that are going to decay. You don't need to embalm a body that's not going to decay. You don't need to embalm a body of someone who's going to rise again from the dead. Could you imagine the ladies surprise when they arrived at that tomb and they realized that there was nobody there to anoint? The ladies sought that stone to be rolled away. Look at verse 3. And they said amongst themselves, Who shall roll us away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? And when they looked, they saw the stone was rolled away, for it was very great. Now let's talk about the stone for a second. We don't know the exact dimensions of the stone. Many would believe it's between 4 feet and 6 feet in diameter quite big it would if it was only an inch thick that stone would have weighed about a ton a thousand kilos it was heavy it took two men to roll that stone down because it would have been on an incline and they would have rolled it down a hill two strong men would have moved it down the hill there's not a hope that three ladies would be able to roll it back up the hill again that's where i wonder who's going to do this but you don't need to worry about a stone when the body's not there could you imagine their surprise when they found a stone rolled away? The ladies didn't need to abandon Jesus' body. They didn't need to roll away that stone. Because our Lord told them that he would rise again on the third day. Look at verse 6. He said unto them, This is the angel, be not affrighted. Ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He's risen, he's not here. Behold the place where they laid him. Let's go back in our Bibles to Mark chapter 9. You're in the Gospel of Mark there this morning. I'm just asking you to turn back a few pages. Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. he He taught his disciples and said unto them, The Son of Man, that's Jesus, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men, and they shall kill him. And after that he is killed, he will rise the third day. I mean, the Lord is very clear. He's not speaking in parables. He's not speaking in riddles. He's saying, "I'm going to rise again the third day." Mark chapter 10, over page. Mark chapter 10, verse 34. And they shall mock him, and shall scourge him, and shall spit on him, and shall kill him. And the third day, he shall rise again. The Lord is very clear. I mean, how many times is it recorded in Scripture, Jesus said he was going to rise again, and not everything Jesus said is recorded in Scripture. The pages couldn't handle all that the Lord said, right? Just to, The books in the world couldn't handle all that the Lord said. The point is, he made this, that reference to his resurrection many times, but they didn't hear him. Luke 24 records the angel testified these words back to the disciples. Luke 24 says, he's not here, he is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, and be crucified and the third day rise again. And oh yeah. They remembered his words. I think we can relate to this. If you have children, you tell your child to do something. Yeah, yeah, no problem. And you know, you know by the look in their face, they're listening, but they're not listening. They can say the words you say, yeah. What did I say? And you they repeat the word, and the job isn't done an hour later. Oh, I forgot. And you remind them and you say, oh yeah okay we can all relate to that that's exactly what happened with the disciples oh yeah but the religious leaders heard it the religious leaders heard him very very clearly that's why they had the tomb guarded they had Roman soldiers outside that tomb because they didn't want Jesus to rise again from the dead but I want to tell you something a few mighty men aren't gonna stop Jesus rising again from the dead His disciples weren't listening because their words were, as the Bible says, like idle tales. They weren't ready. And so the angel said to the ladies, Why seek ye the living among the dead? I want to tell you something this morning. Jesus is alive. He lived 2,000 years ago, but he's alive today. We don't worship a dead God who's still on the cross. You notice there's no effigy of Jesus on the cross. Because he's not there. That may be a symbol of our faith. It's a symbol of death to self. It's a symbol of our identification with Jesus Christ. You may see crosses there, but those crosses are empty because he's not on a cross. He's risen. Seated on the right hand of the Father. And he said he would do these things. But brethren, I want to tell you this morning that man has always struggled to believe God's word. Always has. God walked with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. He said to Adam and Eve, of every tree you can freely eat. But the tree that's in the midst of the garden, don't eat of it, don't touch it, lest you die. Did you hear that? Yeah. What did they do? By one man, sin entered into the world and death by sin. And uh, Adam and Eve ate that fruit and Adam was held responsible. And by that act, sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so we have this great big mess because Adam and Eve struggled to believe what God said in his word, what God said, the words of God. Then we fast forward a few thousand years to Mount Sinai. Abraham led the children of Israel, some two million people, across the Red Sea. And he brought them to the desert of Sinai. And and on, on the Mount Sinai, he gave, uh, Ab- uh, uh, Moses gave Israel the Ten Commandments he received from the very hands of God. And there is the Lord on Mount Sinai speaking directly to Moses that mountains on fire because God's on that mountain, speaking directly to Moses Israel can hear the lightning they can or see the lightning they can hear the thunder they can hear the voice of God and if they were shaking in their boots they could hear God but yet within a few days they were building a golden calf and worshiping it and saying these are the gods that took you out of Israel out of Egypt man has always struggled to believe the word of God, even if they see God himself. Today we have the scriptures available to us. We have the very word of God, the very words of Christ. My Bible has the words of Christ in red, so we know the words of Jesus, right? They're marked there. But we're not always quick to believe it. We struggle, aren't we? It's called being human. It's a human condition to struggle To believe, isn't it? Disciples, the disciples struggled for that, and struggled with that. And you know, there are many reasons why we we fail to trust the Lord and his word. Perhaps we feel hurt. Maybe there's people here this morning, and you've been very seriously hurt by people in the cloth. Religious people. People you trusted, but they turned around and they let you down. And they let you down seriously. That will cause you not to believe. That causes people not to believe. Perhaps you've had dreams, you, you've had goals, you've had ambitions, and you said, When I grow up, I'm going to do this. And you grow up, and you say, Okay, I'm now going to do this. And something seriously happened in, serious happened in your life, and all your goals, all your dreams, and all your ambitions are gone. I say, I don't believe in God anymore. I've heard that many times. Perhaps you're in a situation you'd rather not be in. Perhaps you're between a rock and a hard place. And and you're saying, you know, I need to see change. But there's no way I can see how that change can ever happen. It's impossible. I I don't believe. You know, the disciples were right there. They were right there. If that's where you are this morning, they were right there. And maybe you're there too. But have you noticed... The what I'm discussing are personal experiences. And we all have personal experiences. But personal experiences never determine truth. Truth is truth, no matter how we feel about it, or no matter what has happened in our lives. And brethren, I'm here to tell you this morning that Jesus rose again from the dead. That's not my personal experience. That's reality. It's truth. How do you know? Because there is an empty tomb. There's nowhere. I've been to Israel twice. I'm going to go back again. And I think we're going to bring people from this church with us. Lindsay says, I'm going next time you're going. My wife is coming. Joshua you to go to college make like it a bit cheaper? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> he is not happy about that. But the point is this. I've been to Israel and there's no burial place of Jesus. There is no place where you can say, here lies Jesus of Nazareth, the one who claimed to be the Messiah. You can't find it because it's not there. He he was buried in a a borrowed tomb belonging to to Joseph of Arimathea. There is no uh, uh, tomb that that belongs to Jesus because he didn't need when he rose again from the dead. Right now he's on the right hand of the Father. That's truth. And the truth is that risen Savior, no matter what you've been through, no matter how much you struggle to believe, He goes before you. He goes before you, and He has a massive interest in your life, whether you feel it or not. We've got to go past how we feel today. Are you with me here? We've got to believe truth. He went before them when they struggled to believe His Word. But the second thing I want to share with you this morning about our beloved disciples that we 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 almost venerate, We should never venerate men. They failed. They failed. And the Lord went before them when they failed. Look at verse 7. We're back in Mark chapter 16. There's only one person you can worship. His name is Jesus, because he never fails. But his disciples, they were just like us. They failed. Look at Mark 16, verse 7. It says here, but go your way, Tell his disciples. And then you have this, like this add of, and Peter. I thought Peter was one of the 12 disciples, right? Tell his disciples, and Peter, that he up before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him, as he said unto you. Why did the Lord say... It's not going to fall from there. Why did the Lord say, go tell his disciples, and Peter? Peter was one of the disciples, but he was being pointed out. I remember when I was in primary school, we had this teacher, and uh, she was very nice. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands about primary teachers who weren't very nice. You don't have to raise your hand, this morning. i it. will probably feel like, I want to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but my teacher, my primary school teacher, we were in this little schoolhouse, it was a small little school, it was four classes in, in, the, in, the, in, in, the, in the one room, and it was like, all the way up to second class in the lower room and and upstairs for the big kids, third class and sixth class, you know? But I remember I was in fourth class because I remember my teacher saying this, can fifth class and Wendy come to my desk, please? That's not very kind, is it? There were two people in fifth class. I think she was making a statement. Maybe my sister got a bit distracted. But that wasn't very kind. Now, the Lord was not being unkind when he said, tell my disciples and Peter... The Lord is very gracious. He was pinpointing Peter and saying, "I want Peter. Make sure Peter's there. Don't make sure Peter doesn't 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 skive off or take the day off here. I want Peter to be there. I have something I want to say to Peter." Because the Lord takes an interest in our lives, I want to tell you that this morning He takes an interest in our lives. But I want to talk about Peter for a second. Peter felt like a dismal failure. Have you ever failed? I I I have. I know. The feeling of failure. I know the feeling of taking this massive size mine. I know size 9 isn't massive, but boy, it's massive when you put your foot in your mouth. You with me? It doesn't fit very well, but boy, it hurts. I know what it's like to fail. I know it's like to say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing or feel completely inadequate and not up to the task and feel like a dismal failure when you just can't do what you think you're supposed to be doing. So did Peter. Jesus predicted his disciples would abandon him. let's go back to mark chapter 14 back a page or so We're at mark chapter 14 look at verse 27. Mark 14 verse 27. Peter felt like a failure. Mark 14 verse 27. And Jesus said unto them, all ye... Now, he's talking to his disciples, his 12 disciples, the faithful 12, the core people. I mean, they lived by him. They, they were always there. They never left the side. It was 24-7 support group. Do you understand what I'm saying? And Jesus said to them, all these 12 disciples, all ye, all of you, shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered. The Bible says that Jesus will be taken, he will be arrested and the uh, disciples would run. Jesus predicted that. But Peter protested, uh uh-uh. there's always one exception to the cause. You know, I, I know I, I like rules, but I also like exceptions. Do you know what I'm saying? I'll be the exception, verse twenty nine. But Peter said unto him, Although all shall be offended, yet will not I. All the world can turn away from you, Lord, but I'm with you. I'm your most loyal disciple. I, I, I'm with you. I'll never give up on you. You'll never give up me. I'll never give up on you. It's just you and me, Lord. I really believe Peter meant that. I thank God for people with loyalty. I've been in the ministry here in Gospel Baptist Church for 19 years this year. And I'll tell you one thing. I've learned to appreciate loyalty. People who are with you. We've had ups and downs. I like the ups rather than the downs. Amen. <laughs> but you get to appreciate the loyal people. You really do. Because they're there and they're faithful. I love loyalty. And it's a blessing when you have loyal people. But this loyal Peter. He was loyal. And, and I've seen Christians on fire. Doing all sorts of things for him. I've seen them stand up and boldly proclaim, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, and maybe there's people in this room who've seen people give testimony like that. And honestly, I really believe they mean it. But the more Jesus warned Peter, the more Peter proclaimed his loyalty to him. Look at verse 30. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that this day, I mean today, I mean even this night. I mean, you're telling me how loyal you are. Before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. Three times you're going to deny you know me. But he, Peter, spake the more vehement. No way, Lord. There's no way I would do that. And if I should die with thee, I will not deny thee in any w- in any wise. Likewise also said they all, oh yeah, we're with you. I think they meant us. But, brethren, Peter was not as strong as he thought he was. Everyone, no matter who they are, has their breaking point. Many of you know that uh, Conor McGregor was our neighbor when we lived up in Laracon. He was our next door neighbor. And I was in in Easton several years ago and one of my kids picked up a book, and it was about uh, George Foreman. And George Foreman, uh, actually, no, it was about Muhammad Ali, Cassius Clay. And uh, one of my kids read, the, read it, the foreword in it. It was written by George Foreman. And uh, he said, Dad, look at this. And George Foreman said, I used to think nobody would get me. I was so strong. I, I was so tough. I will be anyone in the world until I fought Muhammad Ali, and then I realized I wasn't as strong as I, I, I thought I was, and that was what brought me to Christ. It was a wonderful testimony. I bought the book, and I said to Tony, give it to Conor. <laughs> I don't know, Conor read I don't know. I hope, he does. I hope he did. But I want to tell you this. In reality, every one of us has our breaking, bro, breaking point. None of us are as strong as we think we are. All of us, will fail, all of us will falter, all of us will, will fail with a no pressure, none acceptance. And brethren, it's okay, it's okay to fail. It's okay to get an F on your scores, in your college or your school. Hey, I got in school, I got in college. Not all the time, thankfully. But this happens, it's okay. Because failure's not the worst thing in the world. In fact, failure can actually be good for you. Peter was not as strong as he thought he was. Psalm 103, verse 14, For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth we are dust. Although his spirit was truly ready, his flesh was weak. He made all sorts of promises, and but when the pressures came, Peter crumbled. Upon being approached by a maid for the third time, Peter began to curse and to swear, saying, I know not this man of whom you speak. And you know the thing is, only a few hours earlier, I'll never leave you, Lord. I'll never forsake you. We're in it together. And he's cursing and swearing and denying the Lord. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth, take heed lest he fall. You know, I said to you already, failure is a good thing. I'll tell you why. Failure has a way of humbling us. Some become really angry when they fail and they retreat. They get into their shell. Some, when they fail, just walk away. I'm just done with this. I'm done with this. Some are so wounded by the humbling. That they blame God and they blame others, and they spend all their lives in bitterness, blaming other people for their faults and failures and what they've been through. The worst way, brethren, we can respond to failure is unbelief. We say, "No, there is no God." Do you know? I I, I was passing out leaflets with the rest of our crew, and I, I, we have some tremendous young people in this church. I recommend getting to know them. You're Tremendous young people, and. Uh, we. Uh, just, this lady said on Saturday, this lady said, oh, I'm an atheist. I love talking to atheists. Love it. Just say, God doesn't believe in atheists. <laughs> you know? He doesn't. There's no such thing as an atheist. There isn't. Because an atheist said, atheist, no, no, and theos is God, right? No God. An atheist is someone who says, there is no God. And you, know you all, all you can say to an atheist is, believe it. <laughs> Prove, if you're an atheist, have you proven it? You can't prove there is no God, because we're so finite. That's like someone else saying, ah, uh, you know, th- there are people who believe the Earth is flat, you know. Maybe I'm going to join their, their group, and I'm going to say, I don't believe in Australia. I've never been there, I don't believe it. Australia exists. I, I, I talked to someone to say today, and this person says, I want to go to Australia. I just want to let you know, Australia doesn't exist. I am an a-Australias. Uh, I don't believe in Australia. You say, that's silly. Just because you've never been there doesn't mean it doesn't exist. And just because someone said has never experienced God doesn't mean he doesn't exist. He does exist. I know him. Let me explain it to you. Let me talk to you about the person I know. But some people, because of their failures, they walk away from God, they fall into unbelief. It's the worst thing you can do. But you know what? When you allow the Lord Jesus Christ, who is risen again from the dead, the risen Christ to get involved in your life, he can turn your failure into a stepping stone for victory. Aren't you glad about that? So if you have in here this morning, think about the things you've done to, in your failure and in your past. Yeah, you can confess your sin. You can say you've gone wrong. Go first, But stop living in the past of the future. You with me here this morning? Because God has a plan for your life, and when he, when the disciples struggled to believe his word, he, he went before them, and when they failed, he went before them. And when Peter crumbled, you know what Jesus did? He restored him. Go to John chapter, keep your marker there, Mark, please, but go to John chapter 21. John chapter 21. There is a myth, by the way. I'm sorry to break your to, to, to burst your bubble. If I'm bursting your bubble this morning, there's a myth, people say it all the time. If you break a bone, it, it heals back stronger. Well, I've done some research, it ha- it doesn't, okay? It, it 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 after about a year or a little bit more, it, it comes back as strong as it was once, okay? It doesn't get stronger. But I'll tell you what's not a myth. If you fail, and you get broken, and you come to the Lord Jesus Christ, and you ask Him to fix you, and to heal you, you get stronger. I'll tell you why it's not a myth. Because when people get healed by the Lord Jesus Christ, they make a determination, I'm never going back there again. Yeah. There's something wonderful about failure, and how God can use failure in our lives for good. Are you with me here this morning? Three times Peter denied the Lord. the three times... The, the Lord called Peter back to service. Look at John chapter 21, verse 15. So when he had d- died, uh, Jesus said to Simon, this is when he had risen from the dead, Peter, Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He said unto them, now more than these, I think he's talking about the fishes, okay, not the rest of the disciples. Lovest thou me more than these? And, and, and uh, Peter said, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He said, feed my sheep. Verse 16. Feed my lamb, sorry, verse 15. Okay, verse 16. He said to him again, the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He said unto him, Yea, Lord, I knowest I love thee. He said, feed my sheep. Finally, verse 17. He said unto him the third time, Three times, brethren. Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter said, Peter was grieved because it said unto him, The third time, lovest thou me? He said, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest I love thee. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Three times Peter denied the Lord. Three times Peter Peter royally failed. And three times the Lord says, Come on, come back. Come back. Stop living in the past. Stop living in the past. That's called grace. The Bible says in Ephesians 2 8 and 9, by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works. If you think you can work your way to God by your own good works, you don't understand grace. If you think you're a good enough person to make your way to heaven and God's going to receive you because you're such a good person. And I'm not trying to be in any way disrespectful. But if you think think that's going to make it, then why did Jesus die on the cross? He died for sinners. He died for failures. He died for people with big F's on their score sheets. He died for people who are greatly, have greatly offended him. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, Paul says it, for my chief. By grace are you saved. through faith. You need to believe that your sin is as great as, as, as God says it is. It was that great that Jesus Christ had to come into the world and be whipped and be beaten and take all your sin upon himself. It was the worst day of his life when he took your sin upon himself. And he felt every bit of it. And if you're willing to admit my sin is that bad and you want to confess your sin and repent of your sin, you're a candidate to be saved. But it's more than just confession and repentance of sin. You've got to put your faith in the one who died on the cross for all your sins. You say, I want that grace. I want that forgiveness. I want that. Lord, is there enough grace for me? I'm here to tell you this life. There's plenty of grace to know. Jesus Christ died on the cross for all your sins. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have an everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world. The world may condemn you. People may condemn you. That Jesus Christ came you this world to save you. That the world may, might, might by him, through him, might be saved. Thank God for grace. God's grace is enough to overcome every sin you have. God's grace is to, is, is enough to overcome every fault you have. Peter failed, but, but Jesus Christ turned around to him. And his answer to Peter's failure was grace. As long as you're willing to respond to God's grace, he's willing to meet you right in that time you need. God can't give grace to you if you don't want it. I was passing a leaflets the other day and, and there was this busker and he was doing his thing and, and uh, all this crowd were standing around and I was offering him gospel leaflets. No thanks, no thanks, no thanks. I said, if I offered you a million euros, would you take it? Oh yeah. I told him this is more important than a million euros. I said, your soul is more important. I want them to think about these things. I want them to realize those people on Grafton Street, they're precious, they're special, they're valuable to God and he loves them. I want them to know that because maybe they've never thought about it. They need to start thinking how much God cares for their souls. Twice the Lord called upon Peter for unconditional love where back in John chapter 21 so when they had dined, Jesus said unto Simon Simon Simon, Peter Simon son of Jonas lovest thou agapao it's a Greek word for unconditional love the love of God <clears throat> Simon, son of Jonas, do you have that unconditional love of God uh, for me? And Peter replied, Lord, I know so I love thee. Felao. You know, I have that brotherly love. It's a lower form of love. Verse 16, Simon, son of Jonas, agapo, agapo me. do you have that unconditional love? Peter replied again, Lord, I know so I, fela, fela, oh. I have that brotherly love. Third time, verse 17. The Lord changes the word in the Greek. Simon, son of Jonas, philoed. you love that me with that brotherly love. That's enough. The Bible says Peter was grieved. Why do you think Peter was grieved? Because the Lord came down to his level. I want to tell you something this morning. The Lord Jesus Christ is coming down to our level. When he came down and he died on the cross, he came down to our level. And he's coming to your level and he's willing to meet you right Where you are at. He goes before you. He goes before you. Our Lord is in in the construction business. Not in the the destruction business. He's in the renovation business. The Lord Jesus Christ wants to intervene in your life. And he wants to change you. I don't know if I should say this. But I'm going to say it anyway. People were walking by and he says, does Jesus love gays?" I said, yes, he does. Jesus will take you the way you are, but he won't leave you the way you are. Jesus loves everyone. He loves everyone. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. If he's ever believed in him, he should not perish, but have everlasting life. He wants to restore the fallen so they can rise up again. And why? So they can res- restore others. Look at what he said to Peter. He said, Feed my lambs. Peter had faltered, Peter had failed. And the Lord says, I want to restore you, and I want you to feed and turn around and help other people. At verse 16, he said, He, he said, Simon, lovest at me, feed my sheep. At verse 17, lovest at me, and he says, Feed my sheep. There's a lot of hurting people out there. But those who've been restored and who notice life's broken become wonderful vessels to turn around and help other people. When well, I think of people like that, I think of Leighton Kelly, Leighton Kelly was life, his life was destroyed by drugs, wasn't it? At the age of 23, he falls in the pastor of Gorman's doorway, he says, you've got to help me. He was strung out, he doesn't remember a word of what he said. But that man, that pastor took an interest in his life. And now Brother Layton is spending the rest of his life helping people be restored. Isn't that a work of the grace of God? Doesn't that get you excited? Aren't you glad that God can restore people? He restores people so they can turn around and help restore others. Our Lord went before them when they struggled to believe his word. Our Lord went before them when they failed. But finally, he went before them to finish what he started. Look at verse 7. We're back in Mark chapter 16, verse 7. But go your way. Tell his disciples, and Peter, praise God, he wants to restore Peter, that he go before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him, as he said unto you. Jesus only left his disciples temporarily. Only temporarily. When he arose, he met them again in their hometown of Galilee. Isn't that what he said in verse 7? I'm going to Galilee, tell them to meet me in Galilee.
0: His, his
2: work on earth was finished. He had completely, uh, successfully completed his course. And he reminded them why he left them. He said, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Jesus Christ came into this world. And he left his disciples, which he spent, who he spent three years with, to die on that cross because he was going to prepare a place for us. If he didn't leave his disciples, he would never have been able to prepare a place for us. But he did leave his disciples and he went to our horrible cross and he died on the cross so he could prepare a place for us. And he says, And if I prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. He reminded them why he left them. He reminded them his next journey was then to go to the Father. And John chapter 20, we won't have the time to read that. But he went before them to Galilee to explain how it all fit together. And you know, I've said this many times when I discussed with people. I said, you know, in Catholic Ireland we have the gospel. We, have, we know that Jesus died on the cross. We know he was buried. We know he rose again the third day. We all get that. In Catholic Ireland, we know about, we believe in heaven, we believe in hell, we understand these things. But we have all this other stuff that you, you need to have indulgences, you, you, you need to have masses said to you, you need to have the mass for eternal life, you, you need this, you need the last rite, you have all this other stuff, you need to do these good works to make your way to heaven, and it all just complicates the whole thing. Brethren, I believe that that complication was going on in the minds of the disciples as well. Different way of thinking, but it was complicated. They knew Jesus would die on a cross, or he had to rise again. They sort of had those things, but they had no idea how it all fit together. So when you can't, when you don't know what to do with a piece, when you're doing a jigsaw puzzle, now I don't do jigsaw puzzles, Lizzie, though. She's really good at that. Next time she's sick, just bring over the jigsaw puzzle. Yeah. 10,000 pieces. Keep her busy. But when you have a jigsaw puzzle and you don't know, and you have a piece there, now I don't like jigsaw puzzles, I like coming in at the end when there's like 15 pieces left, I could do that. But, but you have a piece there, and you say, I don't know what to do with this piece, you put it over there and you leave it aside because you don't know what to do with it, right? The disciples had the truth that they'd be taught by Jesus, but they put the truth of the resurrection aside because they didn't know what to do with it. So, Jesus, when He rose again from the dead, He put all the pieces together, and that's all they needed. They just needed someone to put it together. Brethren, that's what people need, don't they? They need someone to help them to put all the pieces together. And in simple terms, this is how it's all put together. We're all sinners, we all know that, but let's get honest. Because of our sins, we're on our way to hell, to burn for all eternity. I know it doesn't sound nice. I don't know how to say it nicely. It's reality. We're on our way to hell, and we deserve to burn in hell forever. That's the truth. Let's put it all together now. But someone called Jesus, who's the God of all creation, loves us. And he doesn't want us to burn in hell forever as much as we deserve it. And so he said, you know, to the father, I'll take all their sin on the cross, every last one of it. I'll take a horrific death. I'll take your wrath. And the father says, okay. And so the father poured out all this judgment and all this condemnation on his son. And Jesus took the brunt of everything for us. And he was wounded for our transgressions. And he was bruised for our iniquities. And the Lord laid him on him, the iniquity of us all. And he died. He was buried. He rose again. And he broke the power of sin and death and hell broken. You say, that's great. Well, now you have a step. God doesn't want your good works, because then your good works are good enough. He never wanted them. He wants you. He doesn't want what you have. He wants who you are. And so if you're willing to repent of your sin and put your faith in what he did for you on the cross, and give him your heart, he wants to come and live inside you. And I want to tell you something, when God lives in someone, there's change. (laughs) If any man be in Christ, he is the new what? Creature, all things are? Behold, all things have become a brand new start. And that's exactly what the disciples needed. They needed a brand new start, didn't they? I think that's what we need. Maybe there's some here this morning, and you are like, I need that brand new start. I (laughs) need it. I'm here this morning to tell you that Jesus Christ will offer you a brand new start if you're willing to repent and put your faith in him. Brethren, his work on earth was over. We're back in Mark chapter 16. His work on earth was over. His life's work was over. But his disciples' work was about to begin. Look at verse 15. And he said unto them, going into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And that's what we do. That's why we do it. One of our girls was, t- was, 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 was t- I just thought it was humorous. Why is it that my people get all the, the hard people and I, I get the easier people? But one of our ladies was told, if I believed what you believed, I'd sign myself into a mental home. I didn't think you were. would say something like that anymore. So I didn't think it was politically correct. Honestly, I thought it was humorous. It's like when people look at me and say, "Are you for real?" I have to look right back and say, "Are you for real?" Because <laughs> my sins are forgiven. I'm for real. Yes, I know what it's like to live where you live because I had that past. But praise God, I got saved and Jesus set me free. and I have a brand new direction, a brand new future. I am for real, and I don't need to be signed in. Amen. <laughs> okay, with your thumbs up. <laughs> Brethren, there's a whole world out there that needs to know why Jesus died
0: on the cross.
2: They don't get the resurrection. They don't see how it fits. They need people called Christians to help them to put the pieces together. Our Lord went before his disciples to Galilee when they struggled to believe his word. If you can't believe this book, you'll never get Christianity. It'll never make sense. This is the word of God. And I know you might have missed Sunday school class this morning, but in Sunday school class, we showed, we, we went through the prophecies, how that Jesus fulfilled the prophecies written 700 years before he ever entered into this world. Impossible! This is the Word of God. This is the Word of God. I've had people say, oh, how do you know it's the Word of God? They've never read it. Read it. Read, read it for yourself. Test it for yourself. Search it out for yourself. Examine it for yourself. The evidence is overwhelming. Our Lord went before his disciples to Galilee when they struggled to believe his word. Our Lord went before his disciples to Galilee when they failed. If you've experienced failure, you stand with many great men and women of God who've experienced failure, and God took the whole thing around and used it for them. Our Lord went before his disciples to Galilee to finish what he started. And I want to tell you this morning, God's not finished with you yet. There are some people, they've been saved for a long time, they are coasting. Like, if you're coasting this morning, you don't get it. You don't get it. God's not finished with you. There's a work that God wants to do in your life because he loves you. And I want to tell you something. It's not just about you. It's about the people out there who you can influence, who God wants to love through you. <coughs> He wants you to become his disciple, to become his follower. He wants you to complete he wants to completely restore you so you can restore others. I want to ask you this morning, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that's all possible, are you ready for a brand new journey in your life? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Okay?